This morning we're reading from Psalm chapter 24, chapter, Psalm 24, <laughs> I'm awake. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe you noticed as Cynthia was reading that Psalm 24, without warning, shifts from one theme to the next. Just goes from one idea to another idea, to another idea yet again. We first hear about creation. And then we hear about God's holy hill and who can ascend it. And then we hear about these gates being lifted up so that some king of glory can come in. Three different ideas. Quite often what's typical in a psalm, it it runs like a song. There's one theme and a progression of thought through that one theme. Uh, You don't really have that here. So it's a bit more difficult to figure out what the song is all about. So rather, I want you to think of Psalm 24 as, as three songs within a song. Think of it as, as three ideas that express one thing, one emotion, one state of mind. And this is what it is, confidence. Three sub-songs within a song, three different ideas that all express the same thing, confidence. The believer in the God of the Bible can have confidence. And that's what the psalm is trying to express. God, the God of the Jews, was worthy of Israel's confidence. And that's really what Psalm 24 expresses by painting three different pictures of God. You go into somebody's house. Have you ever, have you ever visited someone's home who, who you basically know, but, in, but until you enter their house and look at the pictures on the wall, you never knew that they were an avid fisherman. Right? You see these pictures. Oh, I, I didn't. You like to fish? Or, or uh, you see other pictures. Oh, so who's this here? Oh, oh, you have siblings. Oh, you're, you're one of three siblings. You, you, have, you have brothers or you have sisters. Tell me about them. And you begin to see the different portraits of their life and begin to appreciate them more. And here you see three pictures of Israel's God, all expressing confidence in who this is. And, and the, three prick, the three pictures depict God as creator and judge and king. Verse 1, God is a creator. The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness thereof. The world. And those who dwell therein. 
The earth, David is saying, the earth and all that it produces. Created by God and sustained by God. Uh, Becky and I uh, took the kids on a a cross-country road trip this summer. And we were gone for several weeks. And, you know, we saw a lot of different things. Uh, we, we primarily wanted to tour some national parks out west and camp there. Uh, but the things we saw on our way and while we were there and on our way back were diverse and overwhelming and abundant. We saw endless fields of corn, endless fields of soy. We saw immense skies. Uh, we saw deep valleys and canyons, and we saw lofty uh, snow-capped mountains. We saw elk and bears and moose and pronghorn deer and uh, bighorn sheep. And we saw moose, and we saw great birds of prey. And uh, at one point around the campfire, uh, I opened up to Psalm 24. And we read Psalm 24 around the campfire. I don't want you, don't think of some picturesque, family that has no problems that is not the impression this is probably the one time in the entire trip that it actually worked uh uh, nonetheless one night around the campfire i opened up psalm 24 and i read psalm 24 and and after reading it i said to the kids you realize everything that we're seeing all that we've seen and what we're experiencing all of this has been established by god all of it Everything here has been established by God, all that you're seeing. Uh, The geysers, the mountains, the buffalo. uh, It's all been established by God, and it's still being sustained by a creator. And actually, uh, the earth and all that it produces is created and sustained by God, David sings. But he says something else very important in the next phrase. That the earth and all its inhabitants, its people are also created and sustained by God. Uh, again, same, same cross-country road trip, we actually stopped in a few cities on our way from place to place. Uh, and we, we not only saw the diversity and abundance and magnitude of creation, but we saw the diversity of people and culture, of society, uh, the admirable things, the depravity, the things that encourage you, the things that discourage you, or sadden you, or even make you angry about the state of human affairs. Uh, we, we, we heard an outdoor uh, concert. We, we heard the Chicago Symphony um, out in Millennium Park, uh, just, just playing beautiful music for free, for anybody who wanted to hear it. Uh, we, we actually also uh, spent one of our evenings uh, in an inner city community where we were the only people who looked like us and acted like us. Uh, We actually saw the hotel where Martin Luther King was assassinated. We tried deep dish pizza. Uh, Results were mixed. (laughs) I'm from New York. And that was Chicago, anyway. I liked it. Uh, We also tried good southern barbecue. Uh, And so, in a sense, we we saw the diversity and the beauty and the depravity of culture and society. And what David is saying here in Psalm 24 is that every culture, every society, every race, every nation and empire belongs to God. That there's not an individual or a group of people or a nation that has ever risen or fallen apart from God's sovereign care 
and wise rule. Now, the ancient Hebrews, they saw more. Uh, they saw more than just a pragmatic application to the fact that there is a creator. They took it very personally. This is the genius of the, Hebrew, of the ancient Hebrew religion, is that they looked at the creation, discovered there was a creator, but weren't just pragmatic about it, just trying to get out of a creator whatever they could so that their crops would grow and their families would be safe and they would be protected by foreign, foreign threats. The Hebrews took the significance of a creator God very personally. And you actually discover that because they move on from this concept of God being a creator to God being a judge. Look at verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? That same night around the campfire, I asked the kids, why do you think... The psalm moves from one theme, talking about God's creation and all that he's made, to this, that God has holiness about himself, that, uh, that God is holy, that he is a judge. Um, wh why go from that theme of creation to this concept of asking the, the listener, who can ascend the hill of the Lord and stand in his holy presence. And the conclusion we reached as a family, because it's not obvious when you read it at first, and the conclusion we reached was God's creator status gives him the right to require our attention. John Calvin wrote that all peoples, all peoples are bound to worship God because he's given them life. But Israel, John Calvin wrote, Israel in particular, because they were chosen by God, that is his special, peculiar people of all the nations on earth, not because they were better than anybody else, but because God in his mysterious grace chose to set his love and affection on them. Um, and nonetheless, John Calvin wrote that while all the Gentiles and all the world is bound to worship their creator, Israel is bound to holiness. That God's particular people are bound to holiness because God has attached himself to them. And that's really what holy means. It means that you are set apart by your creator for his purposes. And so you see this in verse 4. Because verse 4 answers the question posed in verse 3. Who can ascend God's hill? Who can stand in God's holy place, in his sanctuary, in the tabernacle? Verse 4 answers it. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And then suddenly, the topic shifts again, doesn't it? Because then you see all this talk about gates and a king of glory. Verse 7. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. So God is a creator and God is a judge who justly and rightly holds his creations, his creatures, to account. But now it says that he's a king. Scholars believe that this portion of the psalm was composed to be sung antiphonally. Uh, meaning, I don't know if you've ever sung in a choir, uh, but uh, if you've, maybe you've sung in a church choir with 20 or 30 people. I was a music student, and we, we sang in choirs of 200 plus 
vocalists uh, accompanied by a massive orchestra. It's just overwhelming when you hear that amount of sound. It's overwhelming when you're a part of that as well. Uh, and I like to imagine, actually uh, Handel did this. It's in, actually, this portion of scripture was set to music, and you can find it in Handel's Messiah. But I'd, I love to imagine David and the psalmists writing music antiphonally for a leader to be responded to, to be answered by the congregation or by a choir. You know, imagine a leader singing out the words, who is the king of glory? And then the choir shouting in response, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. I want you to picture an ancient king returning from a victory. Ancient king and his army coming back from a victorious campaign, entering through the gates of the city uh, to shouts of praise and celebration. The people are happy that he's alive, that the army has been victorious, that their lives have been spared, that their way of life and their culture can continue because their king has returned victorious. They're not going to become slaves. They're not going to be taken over. Their king is back alive with his people. And, and they shout and celebrate and rejoice as he comes through the gates of the city. And then he ascends. He goes through the city and he ascends to his throne. I want you to picture that because that, that's what the psalm is doing. But with song. Think of, think of the, uh, the big ticker tape parades after World War II and just the streets of Manhattan and other cities overwhelmed with celebration and joy because the soldiers have returned. Uh, hey, think of when the Caps just won a couple of months ago and how excited people in Maryland and Virginia were that the Caps finally won a Stanley Cup. They won it on the road and they came back to shouts of victory. Their fans welcomed them back. And that's what David is really trying to capture here in this part of the song. But the victor here isn't David. The victor isn't King Saul. It's not King Solomon. The victory is God's. That's what they knew. Their victories still, despite, despite the success of the king, despite the success, the success of the army, they knew our God has been victorious. So, so this is the climax of three very different psalms. Three very different songs. You remember throughout the summer, Psalm 22 was a cry of desperation. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 23 was a ballad of trust because God had saved him. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He restores my soul. His goodness and mercy, they follow me all the days of my life. And I will be in his house forever. But now here, the culmination is Psalm 24, which is a victory chant. In this God who saves. In this God who serves us as a host and as a shepherd. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, mighty in battle. He is the king of glory. So David and all of Israel had full confidence in a God who is their creator, who is their judge, and who is their king. And the three go together. That's really important. Because they understood that their God was the creator of all peoples. They understood that their God was the righteous judge 
of all peoples, but they knew that God was their king. God was only their king. And David almost, almost never lost this confidence in his God. Now, as Christians, the New Testament and the gospel give us a lot of insight in order to apply what Psalm 24 is saying about God to our lives and to our mission as a church. Because we have a mission. We don't just gather here for two hours a week. We have a mission for our lives. We have a mission for this community and for why God has placed us, not only as individuals and families, but as a church here in this world. And so what what I want to do for you kind of briefly, is just retrace Psalm 24 in light of what the New Testament says about Jesus. Whereas God was worthy of Israel's full confidence, Jesus is worthy of the church's full confidence. And what you see is Jesus revealed throughout the New Testament as, get this, a creator, a judge, and a king. Here are just a couple of, a few examples. Paul said, actually we read from Colossians chapter 1 just a few minutes ago. Talking about Jesus, Paul wrote, for by him all things were created. In heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And Paul went on to write that all things were created through Jesus and for him. And in Jesus, all things hold together. I'll give you another passage. Paul, again, writing to the Thessalonians in his second letter to them, said that God considers it, he was talking to Christians who were being persecuted and oppressed because uh, they trusted Jesus, persecuted and oppressed for their faith. And he wrote to them, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. But now look at how he applies God's justice to Jesus. He says, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Jesus is a king. Jesus is a judge. Sorry, Jesus is a creator and Jesus is a judge. And now you're going to see that Jesus is a king as well. The revelation of John from uh, Revelation chapter 17. uh, John sees a vision uh, of many symbolic things that I'm not going to get into right now. Uh, But the angel, an angel interprets the vision. And at one point, the angel is talking about kings of humanity who oppose the Lord Jesus, who oppose his authority. And his lordship. And this is what the angel said about those kings. They will make war on the lamb who is Jesus. They'll make war on the lamb and the lamb will conquer them. For he is lord of lords and king of kings. And those with him are called and chosen and faithful. So Jesus, the New Testament abundantly, explicitly communicates his creator. Don't accept anything less about the claims of Christianity than Jesus is creator and he's judge and he's king. And because of this, because of who Jesus is, it actually is possible to have some very valuable things as you live your life. 
and as we do ministry together. And, and I can't promise you that as a Christian, you're always going to have these things every day and always feel this way um, because you can be saved by God and not always have the things I'm going to mention. And nonetheless, because you belong to Jesus and because of who he is, it is very possible that you can have these three things, assurance, power, and confidence. Because of who Jesus is, you can have assurance and power and confidence. We have assurance who follow Jesus because the one with authority has good intentions. That's so important that the one who's in charge actually is good and has good plans. For instance, in Matthew 28, before Jesus ascended, he said to his apostles, all authority, think of who he is now, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. He also said at that moment, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, Jesus has a redeeming purpose for the world. And Jesus intends to use you for his redeeming purpose. And that is why you can have assurance in this life. Not only can you have assurance, but you can have power. You can have power that the one with authority is equipping you to be effective. Okay, here's an example of that. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul says... Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments of every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Jesus. Jesus, with his spirit in you, gives you power against the sin and the darkness that you find in the workplace. And Jesus gives you power against the sin and the darkness that you find at school, that you see in your neighborhood, maybe in your home. Jesus, by his spirit in you, gives you power against the sin and darkness even in your own head. Jesus offers you, you can take advantage of, assurance, and his power, and finally, confidence. You can have confidence because the one with this authority is going to come back. And when he comes back, he's going to win. Revelation chapter 11, the kingdom of the world, this is what's going to happen, according to John. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Jesus will absolutely outwit, outrun, overpower whatever is opposing you. If you belong to him, Jesus will outdo, outmaneuver, overcome whoever is opposing you. If you belong to him. So because Jesus is our creator king, our redeeming king. And our coming king, our returning king, I want to encourage us to orient our lives towards his plans. Right? Orient your life toward King Jesus' plans for the world and for the community we live in and for you.
if this Jesus, oh, oh, you know what? I want to, I want to quote somebody. We have this book on the table. It's called, it's called Journey in Prayer, Learning to Pray with Jesus by John Smed. John Smed does a, he's a pastor in Vancouver. He does a great job teaching people how to pray. And he uses the Lord's, he uses the Lord's prayer as a great template. Um, and, and, and in his book on, on learning how to pray by using the Lord's Prayer, he says this about the phrase in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come. And I want you to pay attention to this because uh, next week, Bo Miller is coming to preach and his sermon is all about this phrase, your kingdom come. So it'll be, it'll be a good follow-up to today. But John Smed wrote, when we pray, your kingdom come. We pray as loyal subjects who acknowledge Jesus' eternal creator lordship. We pray as people who accept Jesus' saving work in his incarnation. We cry out in eager expectation of his coming again to renew all things. That's where, that's where your confidence comes from. That's where your assurance comes from. And it's where your power comes from. Look, if, if, if Jesus is creator, if he is judge, if he is king, then what are you worried about? That's the logical conclusion of the song. If he's king, if he's creator, if he's just judge, then what are you worried about? Where does your confidence rest? Do you believe that the Creator is ignorant of the diseases that afflict your body? Do you believe that the Creator is ignorant of the chemical imbalances that you that your brain is suffering from? Do you think that that the judge of the earth, that the judge of humanity is aloof or apathetic? to the hate and, and the hypocrisy and the injustice that breaks your heart? Do you think that the king cannot give you little victories every day of your life against the endless stream of potty training and dirty laundry and ungrateful attitudes that comes at you every day? Where is your confidence? And what is your problem? Because it says that Jesus has created us, is a just judge, and is coming back and will win. Unless you're not affiliated with him. Okay, I'll give it to you. If you're not affiliated with Jesus, you should be afraid. You should have a big problem. Because doesn't, doesn't the psalm say in verse 4, that the only person who can enter the presence of God is someone, someone whose hands are clean. Someone's whose, someone whose heart is pure. You have a pure heart? You think you're well behaved? What's in your heart? Maybe even if your record looks good, right? Even if your hands look clean, is your heart pure? Is David saying that is the only person who can stand in the presence of God? Somebody with clean hands, which comes from a pure heart. Look, you can't escape the just judge's wrath. 
unless you let the God of the Bible clean your heart and cleanse your hands. Because it talks here about, about how God is different. He responds differently to those who seek him. It says that he blesses them in verse 4. He blesses them, and there's something really important. He rewards them with his righteousness, with his salvation. You see, the just judge pronounces dirty, wicked people as clean, as righteous. He does that. And if you let him do that, well, now you're affiliated with him. And if you belong to him, you will endure. As as you're thinking about all, all the problems that your body and your mind are facing right now, and the problems that you see in culture, uh, the, the madness uh, and the instability of creation, uh, the, the conflict and injustice that you see in culture and in society, you, in Christ, will endure it all. And you will be glad again. And you will overcome all of this. You'll, whether it's cancer or, or, or whether it's dirty laundry, you will overcome it all. Why? Because the Bible tells us that in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You will endure it all and you will be glad again and you will win in the end because the Bible also tells us that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I think where we go wrong, where we lack confidence, the kind of confidence that is expressed here in the psalm is because we think about victory in the wrong way. You see, confidence must come in a victory that was achieved by sacrifice. And that's something, that's why you need the New Testament to speak into the Old Testament. Jesus alone, right? Jesus alone by the cleanness of his hands, by the purity of his heart. Jesus alone was worthy to ascend the hill of the Lord and to enter into the presence of almighty, holy God. Only the man, Jesus of Nazareth, was ever truly worthy on his own merit to enter the presence of God the Father, right? But think about how Jesus entered the presence. If you know the New Testament, how does it say that Jesus entered into the most holy place? Not as a conquering king, but as a suffering servant. As a sacrificial lamb, Jesus entered into the throne room, into the holiness of God. And the victory that he achieved for you came by his suffering. He is the king of glory. But he entered into the presence of God the Father as a suffering servant. And you need to see life that way. You need to understand that victory in this life, in a broken and fallen world, victory comes through suffering. Listen to this. Victory in this world, true confidence comes through suffering. It comes through service. That's why we're not happy. Because we're trying to achieve victory and confidence by playing to our strengths. We want to have rest and leisure and satisfaction. We want to we be powerful and secure. But confidence doesn't come from those things. 
in God's economy for the Christian, forget about what the world thinks. Forget about why people out there, the people you work with and the people next door to you look and act confident. Forget it. You're not confident because you're going about it the wrong way. The Christian develops confidence by knowing that victory comes from defeat. That victory comes through suffering and realizing in your suffering that you are a servant who is not greater than your master Jesus. If Christ became a conquering king through his suffering, it's going to be no different for me and for you. So when we say that we pray in Jesus' name, when we say we want to be about God's business and God's plans, the biblical meaning behind that is we can only conquer by sacrifice. We can only be the God, the, the people that God wants us to be. And as a church, we can only accomplish our vision and mission as a church as we learn to grow through suffering, through sacrifice, realizing that we are servants like our King, Jesus. That's where the confidence that David has is coming from. So you can have full confidence in your Creator, in your Judge, in your King Jesus. And my prayer is that as a church, we'll start thinking about doing ministry here in Westminster, serving one another, going out into our careers and our vocations and our jobs, in the classes, because some of us are, in, are in, either in education because we're teaching or some of us are in education because we're still learning. Uh, as we learn, as we teach, in our marriages, in all of our relationships, in what we build and what we create, and, even, and in how we suffer, especially in how we suffer and how we handle loss and defeat and tragedy. Aligning ourselves, reorienting ourselves towards Jesus' plans, because he is king. And we will succeed. And we will conquer. And we will get through it all. And we will endure because Jesus created us. Because he is going to make all things right as a judge, just judge. And because he's coming back. So take, friends, let's take full confidence in our King Jesus. And rejoice and sing and work in his name. Let me pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for David's faith. We know he was a sinner, uh, an imperfect person like all of us. Uh, but we praise you for the truth uh, that you distilled through him um, in, in writing songs like this, and, and we benefit from it. And we ask, we ask our God that you would give us such confidence in Jesus that we would overcome the obstacles that we face, that we would overcome uh, the conflicts that we are in and the struggles that our bodies and our minds uh, are, are dealing with right now uh, by resting in who Jesus is. And may we see him for, uh, for all of these qualities. Uh, we praise you for him. Amen.